When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's October 28, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake and with me today is Harry Melandri, advisor to MI2 Partners and frequent referee for Real Vision Insider Talks with Julian and Rao. Harry, nice to see you. It's great to see you again, Maggie. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So we have, uh, just let's get a quick snapshot of where we stand before we dive in. And we have U.S. stock markets once again close to record highs and the yield flattening in the bond market. ECB President Christine Lagarde saying inflation may be around for longer than expected and Facebook going meta, literally, officially changing its name and trading under the ticker MVRS as of December 1st. What, what do you make of this market action? So, uh, stocks are going up. I, I keep on trying to get out of them. I keep on being forced back into them and I'm missing out my you know, I have relatives who are doing way better than me because they believe in stocks. Um, the bond market is a far more interesting place than most people realize. Um, there's a lot going on in short rates. Uh, the, the, the flattening of the curve is uh, a symptom of pain. It's a pain trade. Um, you, most people, you know, if you're, you're trading your own 401k, you won't notice. But if you're, uh, there, are, there are hedge fund managers right now who are wondering whether they're going to have to sell one of their penthouses. Well, so um, wait, wait, I, I actually, we, we did see, uh, there's been some talk about the fact that, that the hedge fund community, who, who we expect to be wiser and, and much more seasoned than all of us, are really struggling with rate trades. But what do you mean this is a, train of, a trade of pain? What do you mean by that? Uh, people got it wrong. So uh, now, every now and then, even a blind dog gets a bone. So last time I was on, you remember, I, I was pushing the idea, which is my colleague's trade idea, that we should, that people should be short EDs. And why were you that, saying that? Because the inflation prints are go going to be unremittingly high mm -hmm. because the, we're actually, we're still going to see high prints for, for the foreseeable future. It's one thing to say transient, but after about six months of seeing higher and higher inflation prints, it gets a bit old. People get a bit skeptical. And, you know, workers uh, have had uh, you know, very little in the way of pay rises for, for near enough 40 years. It's been a, a tough environment for workers and a good environment for bosses. People are going to get militant. An, an environment in which jolts is as high as it is, a quit rate is as high as it is, is an environment in which unions are militant. And so I'm not, I'm not arguing that we've got a, a new 1970s where inflation will accelerate for the next 10 years. I'm arguing that the perception, the situation you're in is one in which you will keep on seeing higher and higher inflation prints. Mm. And it's going to be very hard for central bankers to just keep on saying transient. Yeah. So I muttered that stuff. I say that, and I, I note that, you know, the capitulation we've seen recently in short terms is so big that, you know, we, we're taking profits in some of these trades. Um, you are. So, um, so, you were, yeah. so you put those trades on, you've seen the move you wanted, 
and now you're getting out of them? Well, short sterling, we had we had what looked like a capitulation. And as one of my colleagues says, when the market gives you that kind of gift, you kind of take it. Mm-hmm. So in short sterling, for sure. In EDs, the last few days has been kind of fierce. People are getting hurt. Euro dollars. Sorry, euro dollars, yeah. In euro dollars, people are getting hurt. So that was a trade we told to clients. We still like uh, uh, the idea of shorts in the Euribor curve. I mean, Euribor's just gone positive in the Z3 contract, I think. So, you know, you had been looking at negative rates in Euribor. Um, now you're looking at uh, slightly positive rates. But, you know, Eurozone is not a place where people are happy to see huge inflation prints. And in certain parts of the Eurozone, you're going to see high inflation prints even there. You could argue that a lot of this energy price rise you've seen in the Eurozone is going to be absorbed along the supply chain. And, you know, But that doesn't that just means it's there to be fed through later. People don't take in margin reductions forever. So there's more inflationary pressure coming through, and it will be difficult for the central bank to pretend it's not happening. So, so, so do these trades work on the uh, on the premise that int- that interest rates is the expectation that interest rates are going up, that we are in a in that environment? Interest interest rates are zero. Um, there aren't that many place ways they can go down. Interest rates are zero in all in all sorts sure. of countries, and economies and negative are and or not. negative in other places. Yeah, and and they. So, for one, if if you ask me whether they're going up or down over a medium term view, well, they're probably going up, right? The question is how fast and when. And you know, right now we're looking at things like EDM two, the June contract for twenty two is is actually pricing in something like eighty percent of a hike. That doesn't look right to us. Um, the terminal rate, how high they go in the end, that's still kind of low. But what you're seeing is people who had certain types of derivative trades, trades which involve nonlinear positions, options, swaptions, gamma, getting killed. And that's so, what you're talking about, the pain trade. Exactly. Exactly. So you're seeing that happening and it's pushing it. Now, me personally, I think in the uh, in the Eurozone, we can see uh, significantly higher rates um, in the short term. Uh, because, as I said, it doesn't really matter whether they hike rates this month, next month. The perception will be that they're behind the curve. And then rates, you know, people won't want to hold these current positions. Even I got a lot of economist friends who refer to people complaining about high inflation as inflation ghoulisters. That, 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 looking into 2022, it's not going to happen. But it doesn't matter what happens in 2022. You're not going to hold a long bond position or a long ED position for a year waiting for it to come right. You're going to, it will cost you too much money or hurt. So I'd argue, you know, if you had these trades on, send us some chocolates or flowers. In my case, flowers. I'm definitely way <laughs> overweight. Send us some flowers um, and say thank you and maybe take some of those profits, um, take some of it off the table. If you wanted to continue running that higher inflation trade or, or look to, to for Eurozone's a nice place to look at it. In the bond market, in the Euro, in, in, in the Euro in, market. Euro, yeah, the Eurozone, Euribor, yeah, mm-hmm. Euribor contracts. Harry, there, what, what does this mean for stock markets? We've seen stock markets close to all time highs. If, if it, we're in a higher interest rate environment, does it depend on the magnitude of that? Or it, as long as it's short term, and we've seen the earnings coming in, and that that is, you know, what we hear is justifying the trade uh, higher, and they have been 
printing some pretty good earnings. Can that continue if we're in a higher interest rate environment, or does that become questionable? So I need to have a certain dose of modesty about commenting on stocks, because if I was so right, I'd be a lot richer. Um, As is the case, but we would not be here. This is probably true. Um, but, and I certainly haven't been max, max long in the things that have performed through this rally. I just ha I just haven't. I didn't believe a lot of the rally. Um, and to be fair, there's a lot of central banks and treasuries in the US in particular, but in other countries yeah. have injected a lot of money. That money doesn't disappear. It has to go somewhere. It'll percolate through the economy and eventually it will settle in, in people's accounts and they will do something with it. And, you know, you ain't buying government bonds, partly because of the yield and partly, partly because of... Um, uh, there aren't any. The central banks have bought them all. Yeah. So, yes, you is. know, in the circumstances, you're buying stocks, and that that's being a for uh, for me. I'm an ex uh, derivative fixed income derivative trader. I don't understand why the stock market isn't nervous about what it's seeing in in the rates markets. But so far, it hasn't been, and you know, so far it hasn't mattered. Yeah. Um, I just don't get it. And, and a headline today that there are uh, that that there is a record historic low short positions in the equity market, which is interesting. I mean, anytime you see a lopsided trade like that, you, one has to wonder. Interesting question coming in when you're talking about money. And uh, imagine there are people who who hear that, who look at what's happening in stocks and are nervous, and are trying to figure out what to do or where to put their money. We have a question from Mark. What are your thoughts on pricing in the U.S. real estate market in 2022 and beyond? So we're a completely different, you know, a different asset class. But again, looking for that, a place for that money to land. And I think also given the fact, you know, if we see rates going up and that was such a source of an issue for people, we have people so burned by the financial crisis looking at real estate. What are you, what's your feeling about that in the mix here? So I think he means residential real estate, single family residential. Mm. Um, it would be another matter if you were talking about commercial or office and things like that. that you know, some of that has been distressed and that can that distress could could reverse. Um, none of this stuff is cheap. Um, so if we're talking residential, single family, it's not cheap. Mm. Um, and one of the things that was fascinating me looking at it was you have these migratory trends in the U.S., and COVID accelerated all of them. Yeah, like Boise, Idaho, it's like it's like a thirty percent increase in the last. Well, listen, the minute months. the minute that they put a, a fixer up, a HGDV had a show in Boise, then you should have known that 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 that, right, that those right. markets were. And that Boise makes me nervous because I imagine the buyers in Boise are all coming out of LA and San Francisco. So it makes me nervous about those expensive markets because that's really a, a take money off the table kind of trade, isn't it? In mm -hmm. those in those high cap, high expense markets, um, I uh, was relatively bullish real estate uh, for the last twelve months to two years, and that's simply because I thought inflation was going much higher. Um, my suspicion is, if you're bearish real estate, you're you're bearish it relative to the inflation index. So if you have five, six percent inflation and real estate only does two percent, while real rates are negative, it's getting cheaper. It's not getting more expensive. Right? I, you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. I, I want to I want I I want to touch on on I know a lot of the viewers have have been having trades in commodities and metals um, around inflation. I want to play a clip though first from a conversation you because there's so much debate around inflation. I want to play a clip from a conversation you recently had when you caught up with Robert Duggar of Hanover Provident. And he he had some interesting things to say, perhaps maybe looking back at history as a model. Let's have a listen and we'll pick it up on the other side. With the debt levels we have and the possibility that the supply constraint driven inflation, like the oil inflation of the uh, mid 70s, if that if that continues to operate, and I think it will for a couple of reasons. One, deglobalization. The downturn in China and real estate sector is bigger in GDP terms than the 2008 subprime crisis in the United States. China is going to have enormous difficulties resolving that uh, real estate development problem. And it is going to uh, force lower interest rates. That's going to force dollar strength. That dollar strengthening is contractionary within the U.S. economy. And if the Federal Reserve is tapering at the same time, it's a possibility that we could see more sort of equity market and uh, economic um, uh, adjustment than, than is presently being anticipated, with a result that the Federal Reserve will have to come back in and provide the accommodation, which will, in essence, ratify the uh, supply constraint driven inflation that's coming from deglobalization uh, and, and the supply side constraints. Yeah, Harry, that, that's an interesting conversation and, and, you know, calling for policy accommodation. That seems to fly in the face of everything that we see being priced into the bond market right now. What, what do you make of that? So, Rob, that, that whole conversation, part of it was premised on the fact that Rob was a central banker um, in, at the Federal Reserve right through the 70s. So he mm. watched how we got the 70s inflation. And the, the kind of rough ordering of events was, number one, invade another country, spend a lot of money on it. Number two, have a great society program and, 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 and have very accommodative monetary and fiscal policy through the period to win elections. That's the number one rule of all politics, first win an election, otherwise it's kind of pointless. So in the 70s, then we had an oil shock or a supply side shock, a little bit like uh, supply chain disruption. Um, well, sounding a bit familiar, this story, Harry. Some of this is chiming, right? Some of this. Not, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect uh, mirror image. but it's not. And then with the supply chain disruption and things, central bankers uh, uh, started to tighten policy a little bit because you had higher inflation. It was a natural, normal response to the situation. And the only problem is, in doing that, they, they didn't realize how fragile the system was. It had another supply shock, and it turned out to be a little too much tightening at the wrong time. So then they loosened policy. And that was where inflation really took off. Mm. That was when it really, really lit the fuse. Um, so if I were to draw parallels, there, there are significant differences with the story today. Well, techno techno anytime I hear the 70s, I just immediately think about technology. Uh, which it seems left out of the narrative for people who are saying we're repeating the 70s. 
there's definitely a productivity improvement, but there's a, there's another side to this that people don't focus on. Um, over the last 40 years, we have optimized our supply chains to be incredibly efficient. They've been optimized relative to the usage of capital. People, we, we, we churned out MBAs and the MBAs came out and they knew how to economize on capital. So that's great. We now have wrung all the capital out of the system and have super efficient supply chains. Almost all of our inventory is held en route. That is on ships. Turns Which we out, well know now, most of them are sitting outside California. Right. Sadly. When you optimize a supply chain for if for capital efficiency, for minimizing it, you reduce its resilience. Mm -hmm. And that means that all sorts of have knock-on consequences across the, the system. If you can't get hold of manganese, the Chinese, by the way, have decided uh, to restrict exports of manganese because they're short of it too. They have problems with power. Mang uh, and and oh, mag and magnesium and various other compounds, uh, metals. Then uh, you you won't be able to make steel. Right? Yeah. Are, everything has a knock-on effect. We have optimized the system too much, and we've lost resilience. So we could get non-linear effects in our uh, in various supply segments. Surprisingly uh, disruptive effects for very small problems. Uh, so, uh, we, I'm, uh, this this subject is coming up with almost everyone we speak about right now, trying to figure out whether we are in a new era, if that era of low inflation globalization is over, and we are we are looking at, uh, if not higher inflation and reshoring and and shrinking back the the supply chains, certainly some version of that. What well, what camp do you fall into? Uh, all of the above, a little bit of, uh, should I say, a little bit of everything, right? Because yeah. generally speaking, when you try and solve a problem in economics, there's, a, there's some kind of uh, supply curve or marginal curve. As a result, you tend to do a bit of everything. So it won't be A or B, it will be A and B. And in particular, uh, we will try to move to reducing, it's a political choice in the US, but the US mm. is going to try and reduce its reliance on China. But if you have 40 years where you've outshored production, doing that is disruptive. So it's going to be done in fits and starts. We're going to try and encourage production, but it's not easy because you have externalities and second order effects, which means that it'd be really hard to match the price the Chinese get for certain products. Mm. It's a long process which requires large amounts of investment here in the US. And you know, US companies like to like to increase dividends. This yeah, or, or yeah, do share about that. We have a question share. from Ralph. Uh, what trade is most interesting to you at the moment? Uh, so I think I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by watching the blow up in short rate contracts. Um, I think we're seeing more, we're going to see higher inflation for the time being. Um, that will also give us an opportunity to fade it at some point because uh, terminal rates are too low, but. Uh, what's the most interesting trade? Oh gosh, I, I, I'm a big the commodity complex and energy prices. I struggle to see how energy prices can come down other than by demand destruction in the short to medium term. One of the things that would lead me to think energy prices would be coming down would be some kind of supply response. But if you were to see a supply response in oil and gas, you would see rig count going up. You're not seeing rig count going up. And part of the reason for that is we have 
uh, ESG uh, constraints or, or ob objectives, which make it unattractive to put capital into those areas. So we've increased the hurdle for investment in those areas. We're not going to have the supply response we'd expect to have. And that will put pressure across everything which is energy intensive. Um, now, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's exactly how this is meant to work. If you want to encourage people to switch to electric cars, gas cars have got to be more expensive, not cheaper. Yeah. So, I heard the outgoing CEO of AutoNation say above $5 is the pain point that, that creates that shift. Uh, and we're not close to that, but that gives you an idea of what you are potentially looking at. What about we? What about the other metals? We saw we saw a lot a lot of questions about uranium. A lot of people were in that trade. There's I, I wondered at some point if that became a story, not stock, but a story trade itself departed from the fundamentals. I, I think I wonder if you could say that about all commodities. How do you separate it out? Do you think that those markets have been moving in line with fundamentals, or are they uh, sort of a momentum trade on their own? And, and what do we need to consider if that's the case? So I have uranium in my personal account. I love the story. But I've got to say, it's more of a story than a fact. I think I, I saw the Pierre Andurand uh, interview that Raul did, and that was fantastic. He, he did, Mr. Andoran's trade was a great idea, but fleshed it out. It's beautiful. The trade worked really well as well. But he had done all of his homework. Mm. I haven't done all of my homework on uranium, but when I look at it, I see a great story and a reason why it should work, but I don't see any evidence that people are buying more uranium. Mm. I really don't. The only people who are buying uranium is, a, is the, the guys who set up that ETF. Um, who are hoarding the metal and trying to short squeeze it? Sorry, I didn't say that. I meant to say they're buying it, and it's uh, because they think <laughs> it's fundamentally valuable. I missed that. So, um, I like I, I like the trade. I had the trade. It's done well. But I'm asking myself whether I should say thank you very much, and uh, maybe I should move on. Yeah, I mean that that is the that is the that's the the issue here, isn't it? That we do have a lot of. Um, Sectors, or there was a there was a stock today that went. The, somebody popped up Naked Wines talking about it, and the thing was up a hundred percent. And then an hour later, it was forty five. It had halved its value. I mean, great if you got in and, and got it at the top of that. But there are a lot of quick moving story stocks that people are chasing. Is that does that end badly, or is just just the environment we're in, Harry? That with technology and access to information, everyone can participate in the kind of trading that you guys have always done. You know, uh, you've probably read J.K. Galbraith on the Great Depression. I have. I'm a very boring guy, of course. But, you know, and, uh, you know, he talks about the bezel. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Galbraith talks about the bezel and says uh, before, you know, before the crash, uh, the stock of uh, bezel kind of was increasing. That's a, I should define the bezel. The bezel is the undiscovered fraud in the economy, mm. right? So there's a point where uh, the guy who's been defrauded doesn't know he's been defrauded, and the guy who's done the fraud has his money, and both people are feeling really rich at that point. Yeah. And then then it crests, and at that point, as we sum this over the whole economy, when it crests. The guy who stole it, stolen the money, he wanders off and says thank you. And the guy who discovers he's a victim of a fraud. I, these the symptoms I see around me. It's either the exponential age that Raoul talks about, or it's 
monetary conditions are way too easy. We just injected $5 trillion and people it's burning a hole in people's pockets. Uh, my suspicion is both are true. Because That's what I think, this. that we're living in a paradoxical time. Both can be true. Yeah, because you need a good story to run a bull market. But if you have a lot of liquidity in it too, people will do strange things. Yeah, and so be wary. At least, at least you have to know if you are <laughs> which one you are, or or know your know your pain threshold. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We have a question uh, from Bo. Is today's seven-year a one-off or a harbinger of future tapering to come? So uh, we, I did not see the seven-year auction. I'm sorry, so I can't comment. Um, I know that we are, well, at least the Fed has been very clear in talking about tapering. And um, there's no ambiguity in it. If I were the Fed, I'd be very keen to taper as well. You have uh, speculative excess, huge amounts of speculative excess in numbers of markets, and particularly in the housing market. The Fed is a political animal, right? The Fed, it doesn't really want to be seen as a, the, the, as a bad guy in this. Mm-hmm. So having injected so much money into housing markets, I'm not surprised they're looking to slow down a little bit. Yeah. So the, um, tapering is going to happen. In fact, tapering is going to happen pretty much everywhere in the world. The uh, oh, I just had it. Uh, I'll dig it up again too. Oh, um, the seven-year note auction showed a high yield of one point four six one percent, higher than the expected bid, suggesting investors demanded a premium to hold the note. And uh, bid to cover was uh, sorry. I, I, of course, I don't. Of course, they, I'm not getting provided that, Harry, because they are not <laughs> at your. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I would. We're getting the question because it was an ugly, sloppy auction. Yeah, I, I would suggest that most of the ugly sloppiness is the stuff I was talking about with regard to uh, the short rate contracts and the flattening in the curve. Yeah, and the flattening in the curve. A lot of that will be insurance buying, which is extremely price inelastic. I mean, insurance companies have to put that money to work. There will be derivative products, which were, which were written against the yield curve itself. They will have gamma or convexity. I hope you guys watch the Harley Batsman interviews that come up. But I think he's, he's, a, he's a gem, that guy. Um, and there'll be convexity on, this, these, on the yield curve. If somebody, if a hedge fund got itself the wrong way around on that convexity, they could lose a lot of money very quickly and be desperately pressing the "let me out, let me out" button right do we now. See, do we see them have to have to liquidate other positions, or or do we? What kind of ramifications does that have on other parts of the market? If they are, yeah, other positions in fixed income, the kind of guys who play those curves are not messing around in copper. Right, mm. they're they're messing around in maybe fixed income vol, maybe Bermudan vol, Bermudan vol in fixed income. They're not messing around in copper or oil or anything like that. Oh, that's good to know. Not that pocket, but um, the 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 messiness in the curve. Uh, yeah, people lost money, and yeah, sometimes it has collateral effects. Yeah, we we have a question uh, as well. Uh, Bitcoin and ETH have consistently outperformed gold over time. If stagflation occurs, and you can let us know, uh, will gold continue to underperform? A lot of people have been saying, if gold's not going to break out now, when? 
maybe never. If so, it's a, you're asking me a political question. Or you're, you're, the questioner <laughs> is asking a political question because uh, stagflation itself doesn't tell me the policy response. Mm. Um, you have higher inflation and we have reduced growth. If you tell me that the central banks will respond to that cocktail with uh, ag aggressive uh, monetary cr money creation to offset the weakness in growth with higher inflation, of course gold's going to fly in that environment. Of course mm -hmm. it's going to fly. We ha we'll have very negative real rates. Um, and not that gold is particularly sensitive to, to negative real rates, but if you have negative real rates, every asset should be performing quite well, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So in a situation where you're just expanding balance sheets, central bank balance sheets, and yeah, I would expect most assets perform, including precious metals and, and things which are considered inflation hedges in that. If you said to me that central banks are actually going to respond in a stagflationary environment by saying, you know what, I'm, I, I'm channeling my inner Paul Volcker, enough's enough, and we're now going to stop the inflation, no, gold is not going to perform. Mm. Um, I'd be surprised even if Bitcoin performs in that environment. If 10% interest rates, I'd take my money out and put it in treasuries. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 are you suggesting 10% interest rates are? I, I mean, uh, that, that's a big, big move, Harry. I mean, well, the point being, there was a point in the 70s where the United States repudiated the higher inflation. Yeah. It just said, enough's enough. We have to do what it takes. And, you know, I personally think, and so did uh, Robert Solo at the time, that Paul Volcker went too far. It was unnecessarily aggressive. Uh, the Solo quote was, uh, we, we roasted the pig by burning the house down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Volcker did, had, had, a, had a consensus, had a political, the political will to inflict the pain which wrung inflation out of the system. Hard to imagine that happening now in the political environment we're in. But it, but an interesting question because do do, do we've heard people uh, talk about Bitcoin as an alternative to bonds? Um, A, do you see that? And B, do they always are? Will they always be one or the other? Uh, because if you see a big move in yields, would you expect to see liquidation out of crypto into the bond market? You know, are they going to be counter to each other or just a different parts of a portfolio? These trades have performed so well, so well, that there are people sitting on billions of dollars of profits. Um, me, I'm a conservative guy. If you give me $60 billion, at some point, I'm going to say, you know what? Thank you very much. I'm going to take some profit and diversify. Mm. I'd be surprised if... I don't know. You're asking a 55-year-old ex-fixed-income derivative trader whether he'd like to keep it 100% allocation to Bitcoin. Of course, I'm going to say no. It, it, nothing, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, there's a lot of fans of it. I see strong, uh, strong reasons for this to perform. I've been wrong. I didn't have much of it. I have a little bit now. Um I'd be shocked if you can make it the, the 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 crypto space so valuable and none of it leaks out out of the market. That's that's a fair answer, Harry. And with that, we are going to leave it there. It's been, as always, a fantastic conversation. We covered a lot of ground. It talks about a lot of asset classes that we don't always get to talk about. So we appreciate that, Harry. Always good to see you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Harry. And thank you to all of us for joining us. And we'll see you again tomorrow when Ash Bennington hosts Raul Powell. In the meantime, the conversation continues on Twitter and on the exchange. 
Take good care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.